0: Today's message comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus... To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, please bow your heads with me one more time as we ask for the Lord to give us his illumination. Father, we pray now that you will help us to understand this wonderful word. Lord, without it, we are lost and we are doomed to live a life of utter blindness. And so, Father, would you continue to lead us by your Spirit through the preaching of the Word. Father, I pray especially for those among us here who may be investigating the claims of Christ. Father, whether they be former people who used to go to the church or whether they are discovering for the first time this community of faith. Father, would you speak to them. And now, Lord, I end asking for your grace and mercy to be upon my brethren and sisters in Christ. May you speak to them right where they need to be spoken to, so that they may be refreshed and renewed by this word today. And we ask, Father, that you will truly bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, history has taught us that people of great renown and great achievements tend to be forever remembered by certain words that they've spoken throughout their life. A couple examples. Four scores and seven years ago immediately caused you to remember the great Abraham Lincoln. Or how about this one? Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Immediately brings to mind John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Now if by chance... Some of you in here don't recognize those names. Let me just say right now you better go back to school, like now, because those are considered two of our most beloved and popular presidents of these United States. And if I had to hypothesize what our current president may forever be remembered by when it comes to his words, I'm venturing it could be this Your fake news, your fake news, your fake news. Now, Please don't misunderstand by saying this, I am not in any way indirectly, passively implying that I dislike this president or have a negative opinion about him. I only bring this up to draw your attention to something that many of you in here Christians may not realize. And that is this notion that the idea of fake news originated with our current president because that's actually not true. Even though CNN may think that they are the first recipients of receiving such negative criticism, the fact of the matter is there's been another group since its beginning that has been receiving this kind of accusatory criticism as well of being fake news. And you know what that group is? It's a group that all of you Christians in here are a part of, the church. That's right. We Christians have been called by the world As fake news. Now you're thinking to yourself, um, Pastor, I don't know if I'm following because I'm part of a church. I'm not part of a news organization. I'm a Christian. I don't consider myself a news reporter. Oh, is that right? Is that right? Christian, did you not forget? Or did you forget, excuse me, that part of your primary calling, one of your primary callings in this life to your Lord is to proclaim a certain news report, a.k.a. the good news, a.k.a. the gospel, Have you forgotten? Yes. That is part of our calling. As Christians, we are called to spread a specific news report. We are called to spread the gospel. And yet people have referred to the content of our news the same way our president has referred to mainstream media. We are fake news. Now, before any of you in here would dismiss that as simply a manifestation of the world's hatred to God and his people, sad to say there is some merit to why they would say we are this way a few years ago a professor by the name of ron Sider came out with a very embarrassing book a truthful book about us christians entitled the scandal of the evangelical mind it's basically uh, extensive research that he did comparing the lifestyles of those who call themselves devout evangelical christians and those who would say that they're not and he looked at certain metrics basically negative social behaviors that we would not approve of such as greed materialism Divorce, sexual sin, racism, spousal abuse. And he compared how most Christians are in those categories to their non-Christian counterparts. And shockingly, or maybe not so shockingly, he could find no difference. Could it be, Christian, that the reason why so many in this world would say we Christians are fake news is because so many of us in here are fake? Could it be that the reason why so many consider our faith to be a fake faith Is because so many of us are not living to the standards that God calls us to live out. The standards that we try to proclaim in the preaching of the good news known as the gospel. The question that arises as I say these things to you could be this. How do we account for this inconsistency? How do we account... For the inconsistency with the hope that we say we are proclaiming through the good news that we want to share, and yet our lives don't live out the fruits of what that good news should have in our lives. Well, in our passage for today, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us the reason, and it's this thing that he calls the old self, the old self. Now, what in the world is the old self? Well, think of it this way. It's very similar to how we sometimes refer to as the old ways. Oh, man. Jimmy, he's back to his old ways again. Oh, Vanessa, she's back into her old ways again. When the Bible talks about the old self, it's referring to that life that is an active hostility and rebellion and sinfulness against God that manifests in people living out that's comparable to people going back to their quote-unquote old ways. And here's something that you need to understand. This concept of going back to your old ways, your old self, is not a terminology that only is defining of those who don't know Jesus. Consider again what Paul says in verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Now, why would Paul say this unless he's assuming the possibility that as followers of Jesus, we can put back on the old self that he's called us to take off? Yes, indeed. And as Ron Sider confirms in his research, so many Christians today are putting back on the old self. So many of us are going back to our old ways. And as a result, our gospel is not considered good news, but fake news. And so today's message is not only for those of you who are investigating Christianity, it's also for your Christians who are struggling with your Christianity, in the hopes that as you come to understand this concept of the old self, you will be set free. And the news that you have to tell others would indeed be welcome as the greatest news of all. So let's do that now, okay? Three things that I'd like to share with you this morning. First, what the old self does to you. Second, how the old self is able to do it. And finally, how we take off the old self. What it does to you, how it's able to do it, and how to finally take it off. Okay, let's jump right in. First, what the old self does to you. Starting in verse 17, the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians to, quote, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, for those of you who may be familiar with the background behind this letter that Paul wrote, you would know that Paul planted a bunch of churches in this city called Ephesus and the people that comprised these various churches were both Jewish Christians and they were Gentile Christians. Now, with that in mind, I don't want you to misinterpret what he just said to say, hey, you Jewish Christians, don't be like your non-Jewish Christians because that's not what he's saying. When he says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, he's referring specifically to non-Christians, okay? Non-Jewish non-Christians. But emphasis more on this idea of non-christians he says christian don't be like non-christians and of course again as i said in my intro he says that because it is possible for christians to go back to their old ways to take on their old selves the way they used to be before they knew jesus christ Hmm? it is possible for christians to go back to these ways now with that established consider how paul describes life in that verse How does he refer to our life on earth? What does he call it? He calls it what? A walk, right? A walk. You must no longer walk. Now, by putting it this way, Paul sees life as a journey, right? as a path that you go on. It's a walk. Now, we all know what a walk is. It's something that we do every day. We walk to school. We walk to to earth. We walk to work. We walk to this train station that takes us to work and to school. We walk home. We do it all the time. Of course, we know what it means to walk. But something that maybe most of you are not cognizant of when it comes to walking is this. As you walk towards something, you're also simultaneously walking away from something else. That's just the nature of what it means to walk. As you go one way, you're going away from another. Okay? And here in these verses, Paul shows us that the old self-lifestyle as it walks towards sin and ultimately death, is also walking away from something else. And what is this thing that it is walking away from? Well, he tells us in verse 18. Now, before you actually read it, on first impression, it may seem that he's saying that you're walking away from two different things. But in actuality, he's saying one thing that manifests in two different ways. It's basically two sides of the same coin. So consider the first manifestation that he says. What's the first thing that you are walking away from? He says it right here. They are darkened, those who live the old self lifestyle, with understanding. In other words, says Paul, when you walk in accordance to the old self, you are walking away from understanding. You are walking away from knowledge. You are walking away from truth. Okay? Here's the question. What is a non-Christian, what is a Christian living in sin walking away when it comes to knowledge consider these words from theologian john calvin when he writes nearly all wisdom knowledge we possess consists of two parts the knowledge of god and of ourselves but while joined by many bonds which one proceeds and brings forth the other is not easy to discern end quote what's he saying he's saying this when it comes to knowing god One knowledge that will always be attached to knowing God is knowing yourself. If you want to know God, you have to know yourself. But if you also conversely want to know God, excuse me, if you also conversely want to know yourself, you have to know God. You cannot know God without knowing yourself. You can't know yourself without knowing God. Now hold on to that thought as Paul moves on to the second manifestation of what you walk away from. What does he say? Verse 18, they are alienated from the life of God. You know what it means to be alienated? It means to be distanced. It means to be separated. It means to no longer have intimacy, but instead hostility with the person whom you used to have a loving relationship with. Okay? So Paul is saying that as you choose to walk in the direction towards sin and death, you're walking away from God. But guess what? You're not just walking away from God. You're also walking away from who? Yourself. The consequences of what happens as you walk in sin, as you go back to your old ways, is not only abandoning God, you're also abandoning yourself. That's what scripture says. The more you live in rebellion against God and his laws, the more you stifle who God is in your life and you try to live, quote unquote, who you really are in freedom, which happens to be against God, ironically, is being so against yourself. You become self-estranged. You become self-alienated. I mean, isn't that what people say instinctively as their first offense when they're caught red-handed doing something they know they shouldn't have? Oh, I don't know why I did this. I'm not really like this. This isn't who I really am. I can't understand. This is so out of character of me. What are people saying with those words? They're using terminology of alienation, ignorance, right? lack of understanding, one of the things that happens as you live the old life, what happens to you is you forget who you are. You forget who you are. You have no sense of understanding that you are you. You're completely alienated from yourself. And as a result, you become miserable. Miserable. What do you mean miserable? How how, how does not knowing who you are lead to misery? Well, let me explain by going to my second point. How the old self is able to make us forget Ourselves, uh, One of my favorite movies is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And the second one, the return of the king begins with the first 10 minutes describing how the hobbit Smeagol transformed into the disgusting creature known as Gollum. And if you remember the movie or if you get a chance to watch it at one point in his hideous transformation, he says these words, we have forgotten our name. We have forgot. I can't do the Gollum impersonation. We have forgotten... That's not how he sounds, by the way. We have, where's Sam? Sam, are you here? you got to show us afterwards. We have forgotten our name. Don't hide. Don't be ashamed. Right? Why does he say, We have forgotten our name? Why did he say that? Because he's so fixated on what? The ring. Right? The ring of power. And if you're familiar with the story, anyone who possesses this thing known as the ring of power gets so consumed, so obsessed... That the only thing they fixate on is the ring, meaning they forget everyone else. They don't pay attention to anything else, including themselves. Do you guys remember what they call the ring, whoever owned it? My precious, right? That is the language of someone who is obsessively, compulsively fixated on something to the point where you are forgetting everyone and everything else. The ring was so important to Smeagol, so obsessed day and night, but he ends up forgetting who he is, and the moment that he forgets, he transforms permanently into that creature known as Gullum. Paul, in our passage, says something very comparable happens to us when we live the old self. We forget who we are, and the reason we forget who we are is because we have something that we would call are precious. Something that we're so fixated on, something that we're so driven by, something that we're obsessed with to where the only thing we think about is that and nothing and no one else, including ourselves. What Look at how he refers to it in verse 19. What is this thing that we're so obsessed with? He says sensuality, impurity, verse 19, or some translation puts it, foul desire. Now when most people read those words, they almost exclusively think of sexual sin. And of course that kind of fits the bill but bible scholars tell us that paul is not specifying a specific category of sin i.e sexual sin even though that could be part of it they would say instead that what paul is describing is a universal dynamic that is present in every kind of sin possible right look again at how he describes those who are driven by this kind of mindset they're what verse 19 greedy to practice every kind of impurity greedy to practice every kind of impurity you ever try to interact with a greedy person right and you ever try to convince them that it's not good to be greedy it's like talking to someone who's addicted they're like yeah i know i shouldn't want more money yeah i shouldn't you know want more of this no i know i shouldn't be that way but i can't help it right someone who is greedy in this form is characterized as someone who has no control no self-control no ability to manage themselves Right? Paul is describing a situation here where you are essentially an addict. An addict. Here's the thing with addiction you can literally, and I mean literally, be addicted to anything. You have the drugs, you have the alcohol, you have the pornography, you know, the standard fear of addictions that we see so often, but you know, you can also be addicted to other things like food, like work. Like relationships, you know, things that are inherently good, inherently wonderful, and yet things that you can be so consumed by that ironically you end up being consumed by them. When it comes to things that you could be addicted to, you can be addicted to anything that is under this sun. If you've ever been around people who are like this, you know that these people, they're not happy with their addictions. Right? You ever have that situation where you have that person who's trying to go on the diet because they know they're addicted to food, but in a moment of, of weakness, they just run to the freezer, open that box of ice cream. Are they like, yeah, awesome. Or is it more like, oh, I can't do this. I just I, I want more. That's how addiction is. People are miserable because they are so consumed with things that they cannot control. Right? That's misery. If you ever read the book Return of the King and not just watch the movie version, there is a scene described where Gandalf, the wizard, is telling Frodo this same dynamic happening in the creature Gollum. Listen to what he says in the book as he's describing Gollum to Frodo. He says, he, Gollum, was altogether wretched. He hated the dark and he hated light more. He hated everything and the ring most of all. What do you mean, said Frodo? Surely the ring was his precious and the only thing he cared for. But if he hated it... Why didn't he get rid of it or go away and leave it? You ought to begin to understand, Frodo, after all you have heard, said Gandalf. He hated it and loved it as he hated and loved himself. He could not get rid of it. He had no will left in the matter. End quote. See what he says there? The reason why Gollum, which I think is a representation of all of us in our addictive moments, he was miserable. Right? Even though he was enjoying the preciousness that he had of the ring, He was miserable because he was enjoying it. He had no sense of freedom. He was enslaved to his senses. He was enslaved to his sin. And I don't care about you. I don't care. No, I do care about you. I'm sorry. I don't care about what you may think on these matters. I do love you guys very much. It's not a Freudian slip. I'm just very tired. I got five kids. That's my trump card. Five kids, guys. You ever get offended by what I say? Just remember, five kids. Okay, five kids. Why did I say it like that? But anyway, um, what is going on up there? Anyway, um, he is enslaved. Whenever you're around something, no matter how wonderful it may be, but you feel like a prisoner because of it, you're miserable. I, I mean, don't tell anybody. You know, I'm sure. You know, my I love my kids. I love all five of them, speaking of. But I'm stuck at home a lot because of them. And I just love my kids. That's all I'm going to say. But you know what I mean if you're a parent. Stuck at home all the time, right? I'm in prison, can't breathe, can't get away, right? How much more worse is it when you're just so enslaved by the sensuality that leads you to your sins? There is no freedom. And that is the same for the addict. As they search after their next fix, their next high, their next relationship, their next promotion, their next job. On and on it goes. They chase after the next fix, the next sensual high, the next sense of status and significance and satisfaction and they're miserable because of it. That's why Paul says, as he describes these people in verse 19, they have what? Given themselves up. They have surrendered. They are imprisoned. And because of so, they don't have the joy and the hope that you only find when you are free. Now, some of you are hearing this, and maybe you're here investigating Christianity, and you're thinking, how in the world could someone even allow like something like this to happen to them? How could they permit this kind of enslavement, this kind of addiction, this kind of misery to happen upon them? Well, Paul tells us in the beginning of verse 19 with one word, callus right? callus they have become what they have become callous. you guys know what calluses are right many of you have them either on your hands or the bottom of your feet it's that thickened uh, piece of skin to where if you touch it you feel what nothing here's the thing calluses don't develop overnight do they no it comes through consistent persistent chronic agitation friction for that matter and at first, as you do it, if you're like playing guitar, right, it's like, oh, it hurts. It hurts. But after about three months or so, it stops hurting because there is callousness developing. And here's the thing that you might not be aware of, folks. For those of you who have callous, just FYI, if you don't get rid of them, eventually, after a few years, those nerves that are under those calluses are permanently gone. They're dead. To where even if the calluses is gone, the sensitivity is also gone permanently. So just... Be careful, get rid of those corns for those of you in here that might have them, okay? And Paul says that same principle applies when it comes to the heart. As it begins this journey of living that old self or going back to their old sinful ways, it starts a journey of callousness to where eventually all the pain and shame and guilt you should feel all of a sudden goes away, right? And as a result, you can no longer sense any form of restriction of avoiding that thing that is leading you to a path you shouldn't go. That is what Paul is saying. As you start a journey of going back to your old self or your old ways, you will start a process of desensitization, desensitivity, where you will lose all sense of guilt and shame. I see it all the time, like with my kids. You know, my oldest, I love her to death, but... She has a tendency to sometimes, when she really wants something that I tell her she can't have, to not be truthfully honest with me. And I know it. And I tell her right away, Kara, you have to be careful, girl. Because if you find it easier and easier to lie to daddy or mommy, you're going to be in danger. Because we all remember what it was like when we first lied. We remember that pain of guilt and shame, losing sleep over it. I wonder if any of you guys still feel that way when you find yourself periodically lying. Right? You get desensitized. And then you think to yourself, Well, Pastor, isn't it a good thing to not feel guilt and shame? After all, doesn't our culture tell us that it's so bad for our self esteem to struggle with these kinds of emotions? Maybe. But maybe not. Consider these words from Christian author Philip Yancey when he writes, quote, guilt is the early warning sign of danger, the first rumor of something wrong. Guilt forces me to pay attention to parts of my life I would prefer to ignore or cover up. A person who feels no guilt can never find healing. When your heart loses all sensitivity of things that should make you feel guilty, should make you feel shame, and to where you have no sensation of those things whatsoever, you are now blind. And now you get closer and closer to being unaware of the danger you're in, namely enslavement. You want to know how people get there, how people get addicted, how people get consumed with self-destructive tendency? It's because they allow their hearts to get callous. This is the process that the old self is always calling you to go on. And you have to be careful. You have to be watchful that you don't allow this heart of yours that God has created to be so sensitive to anything that isn't holy to become more tolerant, to become more at ease. Because as you do, you will end up on a path that is very parallel to how Gollum went in the story where now you have what you want, you enjoy what you want, and you're so miserable because of it. So here's the question. How do we avoid this trap? This leads me to my final point, how we can take off the old self. Verse 20, Paul states that while living under the old self, he says, that's not how we learn Christ. That's not how we learn Christ. Now, what in the world does that even mean? That doesn't even make grammatical sense. What does it mean that that's not how we learn Christ? Well, if you read this same sentence in the original Greek, don't worry, I can read it for you. What Paul is really saying is this. Christ does not do to you what your old self does to you. Christ does not do to you what your old self does to you. You see, the old self does these things against you, but Christ says Paul, does the exact opposite. The old self causes you to walk away from God. Christ makes you walk closer to God. The old self makes you forget who you are. Christ shows you who you really are. The old self makes you harden in your heart. Christ softens your heart. How does Jesus do all of this? How is he capable of undoing the damage of the old self? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in the 17th verse, we read, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What is Paul saying there? He's simply saying this. The way to take on the new self and take off the old is by making Jesus the center of your life, is what he's saying. By repenting of sin, confessing it and repenting and turning to him, and making Jesus the Lord, not only of your Sundays, but of your work life, your sex life, your friendship life, your family life. When Jesus is not just a a side friend, but the core king of every aspect of your life, who has sovereignty over every area of your life, then and only then have you taken on the new self. That's what Paul is saying. Where Christ dictates and you willfully submit him as the Lord of every minutia, every detail, every nook and cranny of your life. Where if Christ said to you, everything about you is mine and you can say amen to that, that's how you've taken on the new self. Now you hear that and you're like, how does that exactly work? How does that really jive? I I don't understand. The, The details are a little fuzzy. Well, let me break it down for you. When God came into the world as Jesus Christ, he did so so that he could die on the cross for your sins, to pay full payment for all of your sins. And as you and I, Christian, look to the cross, what do we see? The first thing we see is something that we don't see because of our callousness. We see our guilt. We see our shame. The whole point of what the cross is supposed to show you is that you are a guilty, shameful person. It shows you that you are wicked, you are you are gross, you are perverted, you are dark, you are sinister, you are selfish, you are broken. That's the first thing it shows you. But the second thing it shows you is Jesus. The one who actually suffered the full payment. For all of that wickedness all of that brokenness all of that perversity all of that messed upness he suffered for that for you and when you understand those two things then you understand who first of all God is you know who he is he is not fundamentally a righteous judge who just wants to judge at all costs at his core you see fundamentally at his core he is what he is a forgiving he is a reconciling loving father that's who he is And when you understand that aspect of God, remember Calvin says, you know God, you know yourself, then you can understand who you really are. You are God's beloved. You are God's beloved. Yeah, you are a sinner. Yeah, you have broken his laws. But through Jesus, you are so loved. You are so precious. You are so sacred in his eyes. That's how God the Father is towards you. Well, you can say, oh, Pastor, but you don't understand. You don't know how far I've walked away from him. But don't you know how far the Father has walked towards you? You Remember how I say that when people walk towards something, they have to walk away from something else? The Father walked towards you, but it cost him to walk away from somebody else. Our beloved Savior Jesus. Do you know that's what he was doing? Do you know why the Father turned his back away on Jesus on the cross? because he was walking towards you. Jesus now allowed him to come after you and say, come back home. Come back and be reconciled to me because you are my beloved. That's what the gospel teaches us, you see? And when you understand that, then all of a sudden, you feel free because now all of these things that try to draw you away from God Whatever it may be, work, money, relationships, alcohol, drugs, loses its taste. That's a terminology that addicts use. I don't want the taste anymore. I don't want the taste. All of a sudden, the taste for those things go away. And now, you start tasting the Lord. And he is good, as it says in the Psalms. And now, all of a sudden, there's no more imprisonment. There's no more lack of control. There is now freedom. There is now self-control. And all of a sudden, people who would say, man, you're so fake, all of a sudden say, who are you? Wow. This is how the good news changes to great news. No longer fake news. It comes with you. Understanding the gospel in such a way that you are set free to where you understand who you are and you're able to no longer be who you used to be before Christ. Here's my challenge to you. Can we show the world that we are not fake news by not being fake anymore? Be who you are in Christ so that our good news can be what it truly is to the world the greatest news, the most breaking news this world needs more than any other. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand this glorious, wonderful truth of being set free from our old ways, of being able to cast aside our old self and therefore taking on the new self. Lord, so many of us have struggled and we admit we are not truly free. But Lord, we know that we can be set free. We know we have that power because we have you. Lord, we need you to be in our lives. Not so that we can just enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ, but so that the world can know that there is true freedom only in you, Lord. Father, you have given us the stewardship of a report, of news that we are called to report. Father, let us not blind people to that wonderful news by being fake. Help us to be truly who we really are in your Son so that we can be a blessing to the world. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.